Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Well, good evening again. Such a blessing to be here um, on this Sabbath day as it comes to a quick close. It's uh, ironic how dark it gets and how early it gets. Anybody know what day approximately that changes? <clears throat> huh? Around December 15th. December 15th, 720th, the winter solstice happens. And then the days begin to get longer. So you just hang on, for your redemption draweth nigh. <laughs> Amen? Not only spiritual, but those who are fair weather, I call them fair weather friends. I have friends that have said that to me. I'm a fair weather friend. When it's nice outside, you'll see me, but they say I hibernate in the wintertime is what they'll tell me. <clears throat> so just hang in there, because summer is on its way back next month about halfway through. Uh, <clears throat> I was going to mention it this morning, but I really didn't have enough time, and there wasn't the context with which to do it. We finished Acts. Uh, God really laid on my heart. There's pictures of Christ all throughout the Old Testament. And, um, <clears throat> sorry, I was looking as I was reading through the Scripture again this year, even in, uh, as I was finishing up the Old Testament, but it, they, they jumped out to me now. As, when I was in seminary, we studied those, and God just really reiterated how neat the Old Testament pictures of Christ are. Now, um, we're going to start to look at those. I believe that God's going to give me the freedom to do that fully <clears throat> and go through all of them after we finish our study through the book of Acts. But I'm going to tonight look at one of those. <clears throat> Sorry, it's in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to actually look at the first pointing to Christ in the Old Testament. The first pointing of Christ in the Old Testament. Now, you might wonder what I'm talking about. Remember when the people had been disobedient and the snakes, remember God sent the snakes to them? And they were biting them all. And what happened is God had to make a what? A snake and an image and lift it up on the pole. And the only people that lived are the ones that did what? Looked. Looked. You had to look at it. <clears throat> Those are pictures of Christ's. And the first one we're going to see tonight is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And I think these are important because what it basically shows you is that God's not a God that leaves you hopeless. He's a God that gives you hope. It's a God that gives you promise. And what God was doing all throughout Scripture is pointing to what was going to happen in Jesus. And what he was doing is just reiterating these promises, reiterating what was coming once again, over and over and over again, so that people were not hopeless. Because if you think about it, could you imagine if the first promise of Christ's coming happened at his birth? Can you imagine all throughout the Old Testament the hopelessness with which they would have felt? I don't know about you, but all I have to do is read the Old Testament to read how impossible it would have been for me. 
I don't know about you, but I read the Old Testament, and do you know how many times in the Old Testament I went, I'm dead, I'm gone, I'm history, I'm done, there's no hope for me. It doesn't take one or two stories before I've already written myself off four or five different times. Because I am ever mindful of myself. The older I get, you hear me say this, and I hope I will get even more transparent and more candid in that understanding the older I get. The more I read God's word, the more I grow, the more I mature, the more I recognize I am becoming so much like those old guys when they're getting ready to, right? He was out sin cast the first stone when Jesus says they're all getting ready to stone this woman. And they start leaving with who first? The older ones. We have some people that listen here. Hopefully all of you are listening when I said that and pointed out to you the importance of that. Why did the older ones leave first? Because the older you get, the more you realize your frailty. The more that New Testament, the New Testament scripture that says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. When I see someone that is caught in something, I don't go, you know what? <clears throat> and by God's grace, he'll continue to allow me to see things this way. I don't see him go, well, I'll tell you what, how dumb, I'd never do that. When I was young, there was a time I did that. But you know what happened? God in his infinite wisdom and his infinite lighting ability, even as a lost person, when I would make statements like that, I would find myself doing the same thing. And what I began to realize spiritually, especially when I came to Christ, what God does is turn us over to ourselves whenever we make arrogant statements like that, believing that, oh, who am I? What? I wouldn't do that. What God does is pull his protective hand, his protective shield back from us because as most importantly, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there is nothing good that dwelleth within us, is there, apart from him. Paul, what? The things I shouldn't do, I do, and the things I should do, I don't. It is that ever-raging battle within us that each and every one of us face every single day. It is being born-again follower of Jesus Christ still battling the sinful condition of this broken shell with which we live in. And one day, we're going to be freed from that. But until that happens, we're going to battle the sin nature every single day. Now, does that mean we wake up and say, I'm not perfect, just forgiven? No, we don't say that. You desire, I hope, when you wake up in the morning to be sinless. I hope your desire is to honor to glorify and to magnify the name of Christ. And when we find that you have fallen, do you fall on purpose? No, it's on accident. I don't know anybody that falls on purpose besides a child. No adults fall on purpose because you'll break a hip. And not only will you break a hip, but I've seen a whole lot of people that are where I am right now, me taking care of them, and I've seen a number of them go out of here because they were living alone they were in perfect, healthy shape. They made one foolish decision. They broke a hip, and the next thing you know, it was a downhill, and it did not end the way they thought it was. They never went home. They ended up going to the undertakers, the funeral home. So that's the thing. We, when you and I fall, we don't do that on purpose. We didn't mean to. We made a misstep. We weren't thinking. We weren't paying attention. You, you walk through your house after one of your kids came and rearranged your furniture, not knowing or not thinking about it. 
and you walked into that chair that was in the middle of your living room that you didn't know was there and you fell over it or you walked outside the ice and you slipped. It's something that you don't do on purpose and that's what happens with us. That's what sin should be. It should be something that takes us by happenstance. It's something that we do not do with an overt act of our will or at least pray not. Again, we're going to look at one verse tonight, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And the, the title of tonight's message is Pictures of Christ. And again, we're going to start with the first one in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 3. And I hope you physically are able tonight, if you can, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word in verse 21. <clears throat> the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothe them. Father, thank you again for your word. Pray that you would speak, Lord, to the greatest, to the minimal, the smallest of needs we have tonight. We know your word will not return void, Lord. We claim that, Father. Hide me behind the cross tonight, Lord, so that you may speak to hearts as only you can. And we commit this all in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we know what's happened at this point. Adam was doing fine, and he got a partner, and things went downhill for him, didn't it? Because Adam abdicated his responsibility. Adam had a responsibility to be the protector of his wife, and he failed at that. A lot of times, uh, people want to blame it on uh, Eve, and they were both equally responsible, but actually Adam even greater, because Adam was made in the image of God, and what? Eve in the image of man, in, in the image of Adam. So what we know tonight is that he made this grievous error in not protecting his wife like he should have. Uh, you know, a guy, he's probably just laying over there by a tree looking at, you know, bark or something. And he was all happy and had probably eaten something and was well, napping. I don't know what it was, just you know, kind of give you a little bit of humor right there. But needless to say, this act happened with Eve eating the fruit. She turns to Adam, hands him the fruit. Adam could have said no. He could have waited for version 2.0. But he didn't do that, did he? He decided to eat of the fruit. Uh, how many times have you heard the wrong thing? What do people say the fruit is? Yep, Bible doesn't say that, does it? Doesn't say that. Fruit was pleasing to the eye. Desirable for gaining wisdom is what it says. So don't fall into those little things that we sometimes uh, try to uh, claim as spiritual truths when they're not spiritual truths. Uh, just like what was Jonah swallowed by? a great, a big fish. We often think that, though. Those are those things that sometimes, and that's one of the neat things. We're all here to learn together. We're all going to learn. We're not here to, somebody's smarter than somebody else. We're not here to do that. We're just here to learn the truth of God's Word. And the exciting thing is these little tiny things that we, even myself, grew up thinking, where I picked them up, I don't know. Probably somebody said it to me likewise. But tonight we're going to see right here the first picture of Christ. So we've got the separation from Adam and Eve, from God's presence, the moment that they bit into that fruit, it was over. Eternity course was set. There was no way to go and put the cat back in the bag. There was no way to, all of us are in a pond together, by the way, every Christian on the planet, when you and I take a rock, sin, and we throw it, to believe for a moment that it is 
your business because you're making the choice and you can do what you want to. You are deceiving yourself because to say that is to say that you can throw a rock in the pond and someone will not be affected by the waves, by the ripples. It is all of our business. Somebody made a good statement today. Their child was acting up and I was like, don't do X. And the person said, I said, I want you to let you know I had to, I, I told your child about this because I had to, I saw them do this and I told them we can't do that here. And they said, well, it takes a village. Meaning they got the right understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ because the success of your child and my children depends on you caring enough to help me raise my children. We're all helping raise one another's children. When you put a standard down with which you say, don't send it to my children, I'll take care of them. What you've done is say, you are not, you are you are set apart from others. You don't need anybody's help to do what the Bible says is the responsibility for all of us. I know in the church that I grew up in, when you dedicated a child, do you know what you were saying by that? That you were committing to allow the body of Christ to help raise your child with you. It was the corporate responsibility of all of us to pour into the children to ensure the greatest potential for them to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's why I was so wound up Wednesday night when I read that article about that principal and vice principal who evidently showed some character with integrity where they were willing to discipline a child correctly. Principal, vice principal, both in there disciplining the child, but there's this, he got, got arrested. They went to jail. Went to jail because they cared enough to instill discipline to try to save a child from what Scripture says causes death. But see, we're in a, a culture right now that we, we, don't, we don't care about the results of sin or anything. Oh, my little Billy, my little Peggy Sue, my little whoever, oh, they wouldn't do that. Somebody's got to be telling a story on them. As I said to my children growing up, you come home and you've gotten in trouble at school, you're going to get it when you get home. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, no, they were, I remember the first time when John was a little boy, came home, I said, what happened? His story vastly differed from what was written down. So you know what I did? <clears throat> I called the teacher. Hey, Miss so-and-so. She got defensive, and I said, ma'am, I don't know why you're getting defensive. I'm on your side. I just want to know what happened. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so used to parents calling and saying very demeaning, derogatory, and cursing me on the phone, so I have a tendency now to be defensive when I get a call like this. I said, no, ma'am. I said, let me just tell you right now, if you're lying, it's between you and God. I just want to know what happened. So I got done, and needless to say, I got the truth from the teacher, and we had an instruction session at home. Why? Because my children have to know what unconditional submission to authority is, and if that person or someone in their life lies about it, that's between them and the Lord, but I'm still, even in that, teaching an incredible lesson. We can get in trouble sometimes for even doing the right thing. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have to trust the authority that my children have been placed under and that I've been placed under. I told you guys here just a few years ago, had two witnesses in the car with me, out on a Sunday afternoon, driving by, I was literally driving by a house, could not have been going more than 35 miles an hour. <clears throat> Again, two adult witnesses in the car get pulled over. Hey, you were doing 75, 80, whatever miles. I said, what? I was actually shocked. I could not even believe that the person was saying what they were saying to me. And I said, what? Yeah, I said, 
Was I going that fast? They said, no, you were driving by a house. There's no way in the world. I was driving by slow by the house to see if the people were home. There's no way physically possible that unless I was in a sports car, a very fast one, which I wasn't, that I could have gotten up to the speed that the person said I was doing. I said, wow, that's, I, I never would have dreamed that I was doing, did I? Well, I wasn't doing that. I can't believe what's wrong with you. I know your boss, by the way, and I'm going to get your job. No. That was the authority in my life at that moment. Just because they were being unethical and unlawful didn't give me a right to defy the authority that they have been given by the state of Tennessee, even though they were abusing that authority. Interesting, isn't it? Because what is the tendency of us to first do? All of us naturally want to get on the defense. We want to get defensive. How dare you? Let me call my attorney. We want to do all of these things right here, but what do we do in that? All we do is ruin the ability to handle things the biblical way, do things the right way. Though others accuse you of wrong, live such good lives, though they accuse you of wrong, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on that day. That's what the Bible says. So tonight, as we see this monumental event in history, we both know the beginning of, of, of right here in Genesis. We know what happens. We know that sin took this cohesive, continual fellowship with God that they walked in. They walked in perfection. They did not know that they were naked. There's nothing wrong with the condition that God had created them to be in. They didn't need clothes. There was nothing embarrassing. There was nothing shameful. There was nothing disgraceful. They were in perfect unity and harmony with sinlessness. One moment. There's a movie. It's not got a good... It's not, it's not a, a good story, but to understand the context of how sin corrupts is a movie called Pleasantville. Has anybody ever seen that movie? In Pleasantville, everything is perfect. Nobody goes to the bathroom. The fire department is not there to put out fires because there's no fires in Pleasantville. The fire department in Pleasantville is there merely to get cats out of trees when cats climb up trees because they don't need trees. And there's nothing outside of Pleasantville because everything in Pleasantville is pleasant. The dad comes home at the end of the day. Hi, honey, I'm home. The wife's made dinner. She looks perfect. She's got all of the food ready to go, ready to sit down, ready to eat. The kids all do the right thing. When you go to the bathroom at school, they had the girls, you know, the girls laughing and they go in the bathroom together. When they go, there's no toilets. In Pleasantville, everything is perfect. But then there's two people that are transported into Pleasantville that are not from Pleasantville. There were two people that had been transported from modern day into Pleasantville. And if you can imagine what happens in short order, there begins, ready? Color begins to happen. And what the movie shows is the color of life is brought in by sin. So the girl starts to kiss this guy. And by the way, they don't kiss back then. They just all hang out together. They don't engage in behaviors that are unbecoming of young people. And when this girl basically seduces this young man, then has the, the, guy kiss, or the girl kisses the guy, the next thing you know, he starts to get color to him. And then as this 
sin begins to spread throughout the community, a wife doesn't make dinner for the husband because she's sick and tired of doing that same thing over and over again. Because why? She runs off and has an affair with somebody, and needless to say, the next thing you know, color is becoming systemic in the movie. In the movie, color is the picture of not this boring life that you've been living, this monotony that doesn't have any excitement. The color is representative of coming to life. But yet as the destruction of sin, as it begins, begins to pervade this whole entire community, and that's what's so sad is see the world sees sin as the icing on the cake. We're being withheld. All these good things are being withheld from us. What a shame that we're living in this closeted life that is so free from all of the fun that, that the Satan has to offer, but they don't say that. It's just the fun and excitement of being young, free, and 21, as the old statement is. But we see the fundamental effects of sin in Genesis chapter 3. It destroys. Not only does it bring pain, heartache, and toil. Ladies, had a baby? You can thank Adam and Eve. Enjoy the fun of the pain of childbirth. They increased it exponentially. Toiling in the garden with what? Any farmer knows? Weeds. Not the kind that 2,4-D will fix either, right? It's a problem that's systemic, and it reaches to the far reaches of every single thing. Huh, cancer. You don't think cancer was something that God ever intended to ever be present in the Garden of Eden? No, it's the effects of sin. I remember <clears throat> when I lived up in Bristol, I lived a few miles from a place called Carden Hollow. It's, and Carden Hollow was between, um, I was at 431, I don't remember what the road was, and where the Bristol Motor Speedway is. Carden Hollow was a hollow, and there was a road that went through, and we, we would go there every, every, every day going to school and, and going to church. But there I had a problem at Carden Hollow, had people from school there, and the parents just started, everybody's getting cancer. Everybody that was over 40 years old either had or knew someone who had cancer. It was interesting because it was isolated to the people of Carden Hollow. So what did the EPA did? They came in there and started testing water. They started testing it, finding high levels of very toxic chemicals in Carden Hollow. Come to find out, Exide Battery Company was just four or five, less than four or five miles down the road, and one of the unscrupulous landowners at the beginning of Carden Hollow had allowed someone that was paying them to get rid of the toxic chemicals at Exide Battery Company. They were dumping tens of thousands of gallons of toxic chemicals back on their property. Where'd it go? Went into all the landowners' waters, the well, the creek. So everybody in Carden Hollow was sharing a soup of unknown heavy metals and toxic chemicals. See, the effects of people's actions are far-reaching. We don't want to believe that sometimes. We want to think that it's my life to stay out of my business. Well, if it just affected you, that'd be one thing, but it affects all of us. And tonight, though, this picture of Christ is so awesome because when you think about it, in Adam, we all became sinners, right? 
the DNA that Adam passed on to all of us. Do you realize that we all tonight here came from Adam and Eve? All of us. Now, there's a big tree, right? It's not like one of these that like, joke about Tennessee or Alabama trees, right? Straight up, you know, family reunion's great because we're all related to it. No, I'm not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that we all came from Adam and Eve. And what's so neat is that though we received the sin nature from Adam's genetics that subsequently goes out through all history, yet the same way that though in one man we're all made sinners, in one man we're all made righteous. And that's what Jesus is. So we don't have this though at this point. We are at the beginning, we're at the, not at the first quarter, we're at literally the opening exercises of the game right here in Scripture. When you look at it, look, I've got a few entry pages right there. We're just at chapter 3. Sin is invited in right here in the very beginning of time and history. The beginning of chapter 3. Everything was perfect. Would love to know the time frame, amen, between chapters 1 and the end of chapter 2. We don't know that. doesn't matter, right? really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a thousand years. It doesn't matter if it's two days. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't change anything about the gospel. But it's exciting to realize that there could have been a time that, that mankind for a while at least has said, you know what, I don't need that tree. I don't think it was probably as long as we think it was. But sadly, there were implications, big implications. But again, verse 21, Lord said, since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out to take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God kicks them out. God does not allow them to eat at the tree of life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Imagine tonight if Adam and Eve were still alive, what they'd look like. Sin-filled, sin-corrupted, but unable to die. I Truly, this is not a joke. I believe they would look like zombies. I believe that their skin would be falling off. I believe that they would look horrific. I believe it would be like almost the state of when you're in hell and you're in a body that cannot die, but you're in a place inhospitable to life. I think it would be a truly a horror show. So I'm very thankful that God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. God protected them from touching that tree of life because we have the hope now that all things are going to be made new. And that's very exciting to me. But number one I want to share with you tonight here, sin broke the perfection that God created. We realize that. That is the beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's truth right there. The Lord God then, what he do? Made clothing from skins for man and his wife, and he clothed them. First blood sacrifice in Scripture. First time that an animal had to die as a what? Covering for their sin. Is that not awesome? Now, this is a temporary covering. A lot of people never, when I've shared this with people in conversation before, I've never even thought about that. That is the first blood sacrifice, yes. Because you can't get skins without something dying. It was the first consequential, by, by the way, just being kicked out of the garden, you got that consequence, but the consequence to something else. The animal or animals that had to die to clothe them 
sacrificed, were sacrificed, they died so that Adam and Eve's sin could be covered. The first picture of the bloodshed that was pointing to what Jesus would do. It's ironic as we go through this, it's probably going to blow your minds as we do this study. There's so many of them. It is just, it, hopefully you get excited about it. I hope every week you're excited about the next one we're going to look at because I'm not going to tell you in advance. I want you as we go along to go, wow, I never even thought about that. I never saw that. Because this is the thing, God's word is so captivating. Amen? It's so exciting. There's so much to learn in God's word. Whether you're doing a book study or whether you're doing a topical subject study like we're going to do right here, there's so much in God's word. And the second thing I want to share with you tonight is this. Sin leaves us spiritually naked and exposed to sin's stain. Sin made Adam and Eve recognize their spiritual nakedness, their physical nakedness. They were exposed for the first time to the stain of sin. Before that, there was no dominion over them. They had no didn't matter if the enemy would have been just out the door. Wouldn't have mattered if the enemy would have been on the other side of the tree. It had no dominion over them because they were walking in perfection with the Lord. It had no ability to open their eyes apart from them making the conscious choice to do like they did in eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's what we need to rep recognize tonight. Though we are New Testament believers, under the New Covenant, the New Testament, New Covenant, under the washing of Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection, sin tonight exposes us. It exposes us to being outside of the protection, the supernatural protection of God, even in a physical sense, well, how could you say that, Brother Jonathan? Well, let's just talk about what it says in Corinthians about taking part in the body of Christ in an unworthy manner. That's why many of you are weak, sick, and a number of you sleep. There's certain activities we can engage in as followers of Christ that remove us from the supernatural protection of God. That's what sin does. A dear, dear family member many, many years ago made a, a grievous mistake of abandoning his family right around his 25th anniversary because someone... Uh, that he worked with captivated his time and attention and he abandoned his first love, his wife and his family to run after the fleeting pleasures for a short time. Sadly, the question the person had had for me when I was a young man, not a believer, when he said, would you live the rest of your life like this? I wish I'd have had the foresight and ability to see then I'm going the rest of your life. How long is the rest of your life? He said, the next 50 years, would you live like this? And me, in the naivety of my childlike self, said, I wouldn't live like that. Many years later, after this person had done that, he said, I don't know why I said that to you as a child. It was foolish of me. I had no business, and I need your forgiveness. I forgave him. But that 50 years that he thought he had, he was dead in 15 of a horrific, horrific sickness. When this person was dying, I will never forget. They had called me. I'd come to see them. They'd called me to come see them. And they said this to me. 
They called me John. They said, John, I know I'm forgiven, but I'm dying because of my sin. And you go, well, wait a minute. Was this a Christian? Yes, it's a Christian. This was a forgiven Christian. But one of the things that we cannot change is a follower of Christ. It starts with the C. Consequences. 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 Why do I share with you continually about being very careful with the activities and behaviors we engage in? You've got to be careful because not only can God not be mocked, but there are activities, church, that we can't choose the consequences for. We can be forgiven. Don't forget that. Forgiveness is one thing, but consequences are a totally different thing. And I remember the words of this solid brother in the Lord who loved the Lord, who finished strong, but who experienced, and I call it this, he didn't get to see the promised land. The promised land, what are you talking about? Who didn't get to see the promised land in Scripture? Huh? Moses. You think Moses was forgiven? Sure he was. He was forgiven absolutely. God allowed him to look at it, but he was not able to enter it. That's why my statement about my family member is recognizing what he was saying to me is, I didn't get to see the promised land. I'll tell you what his was. He had no greater desire than to spend his golden years going to the ball games with his grandchildren, spending time with them. He had looked forward to that his entire life. When they were still small, he was taken. He missed the promised land. He missed the blessing of crossing over into that promised land and experiencing the supernatural blessing of the Lord in the land of what he had wanted to see and what he, I believe, would have seen had this act not occurred that God had to deal with because God is merciful, he's gracious, but he's also holy and he's just. You don't have to agree with me if you don't agree. I would say you do because I can give you every scripture in the world to back it up. I think it's very important for us, though, to recognize when scripture says God cannot be mocked, a person will reap what they sow. Those that sow to the flesh reap destruction. Those that sow to the spirit reap life everlasting. Remember, who was a man in the scripture that was a king and lost everything? Saul. This was a man that was God's chosen person. Look at King David. Look at the consequences, the monumental magnitude of the consequences of his actions that played out in his life exactly how God, a man who ultimately God referred to as what? A man after his own heart, but still the consequences played out. So tonight as we see, begin to look at these pictures of Christ, I hope you'll get an even greater reverence for the holiness of God, the justice of God, but also the mercy of God in, in the context of it. And the third and final thing I want to finish, we'll finish up with this. God demonstrates the covering that Jesus would come to provide. God is demonstrating that covering. What did God do? Covered. 
that person in my family, mem- the family member that made that bad decision, do I know that they're, I believe 100% they're in the presence of the Lord. God had forgiven them. They were repentant. Though the consequences, they weren't able to choose that. What happened is what happened. This person was very forthright with each one of our, everyone in our family with, hey, this is what occurred because of a result of this. And I want you to know that. Stay steadfast in your family. Love your family. Do not break the, the covenant with the wife of your youth so that the blessings of God will remain on you and you will not experience what I'm experiencing. See, that covering that God gives us, it's God's grace, it's God's mercy, it's that picture of forgiveness. You see, with Adam and Eve, what would any person in this room right now, if you and I had been God, what would have happened when Adam and Eve did what they did? It's over. Don't think you'd have said anything different. It's over. Look what I gave you and look what you did. By the way, would you, would you send your son to die for him? I hardly believe it. That just magnifies the love of God. What an incredible, awesome, holy, righteous. By, by the way, if you said you wouldn't, imagine right now if the Tennessee Department of Corrections has somebody up in Nashville on death row, the most vile of offenders, and they call you tonight and say, listen, we will take your child in place. By the way, your child, my child, they're sinners. Okay? Our child isn't even perfect. Is there anybody in here tonight that would trade, allow your child tonight, they'll pick your child up tonight to let someone on death row go free because they say they're sorry? Anybody in here? Thank you. I rest my case. There's nobody in here that not only would give our reprobate sinner of a child the worst of worst if we had that child that was the worst, unless you're one that goes, I'd rather be out of here anyways, right? But there isn't anybody in here most guaranteed that if you had a child that was completely without sin that you go, oh, I'll send my child up there so they can go free and have a second chance. See, God has a love it is incomprehensible. I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words to explain how God can love us that much. I think it's awesome. I think it's amazing, and I'm so thankful for it tonight. What we're going to see as we go through these pictures of Christ, I think it's going to help open a window into us at the magnitude of God's love. Even if only a slighter window, just a slighter opening, spiritually speaking, of our ability to see the love of God. I hope it does that for you. Tonight, as we go out into our mission fields, just remember these small decisions we make can have monumental consequences or blessings. That person that you or I don't want to take the time to share Christ with or to share our story with because we're busy or we're this or we're that and we do it. Imagine that person coming to faith in Jesus Christ and let's say they're the next Billy Graham. And when you look back on it and think, I almost didn't say something because everybody else that I'd talked to, the 50 people before, never wanted anything to do with it, didn't want to hear about it, and I almost didn't say something. And imagine saying that, and down the road, God uses them to change continents for the gospel. You think about that with Billy Graham and the prayer. I'll have to share that story with you here soon. 
about how Billy Graham ended up coming to faith in Christ and the people who prayed for him as that came about and look what God did as a result. Those ones, had they not done that, imagine this very moment, the smaller magnitude of people in this nation that would know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So that's why as we go out there, we've got to realize there's real world implications to what we do and don't do. It Don't ever take that mindset of, it's not that big of a deal, because it is. The same way that the disobedience of Adam and Eve have truly affected every single person that's been born, even Jesus, because Jesus became the sacrificial lamb to make right what was made wrong in the garden. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight, Lord, for your word, God, and thank you, Lord, as we do these studies over the coming months, Father, as we see this beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us and all these foreshadows that show and point to what he was going to do on the cross for us. God, let us ever be captivated, Lord, and in, in, in all, God, of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. God, I thank you so much for your word, that we have it, that we can in full faith trust it. Father, as we go out in our mission field, let us be obedient to the truth, God, the gospel, Lord, the good news. Thank you for it, God. Thank you for each family represented here. Thank you, Father, for the call of a disciple, Lord, and the call of this body of Christ to impact not only this body, but also this community in the world with the good news of the gospel. Go with us now as we go into our mission field, Lord. Give us a boldness, Lord, to share, to be lighthouses, Lord, reflections of your glory. And God, I just thank you. We praise you. We love you. And we commit all this to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at Church dot org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.